Say, are you in the market for a podcast that will teach you the indescribably awesome art of lucid dreaming? Where you literally wake up in your dreams and take control of them? Where you could fly like superwomen, repel down the side of a rainbow, learn to speak fluent Klingon overnight while you sleep? You are? Ew. Awkward? Well, uh, sorry. This podcast is not that. See, here's the deal. I've been trying to have a lucid dream for over 40 years. And if you want an easy way to wrap your head around that time frame, try this. The first time I tried to have a lucid dream, the United States of America was less than 200 years old, so I'm probably the least qualified person on the planet to be a dream Sherpa. And not to put too fine a point on it, so awkward. I'm kind of trying to have a podcast-induced lucid dream here, so... Sorry about it. Sorry if there was any misunderstanding. Just sorry. Okay, I think that just cleared the room. Welcome, imaginary listeners, to the very first episode of Lucid or Bust, the podcast about epic perseverance, or epic failure, or an epic epiphany I had just a few nights ago when I was trying a new induction technique that I learned on the internet. The internet! That changes the way I frame everything, or everything lucid, but I'm getting ahead of myself. You better get used to it, imaginary listeners. I've never done a podcast before, so please, please bear with me. Well, I mean like you guys have a choice. Okay, start with an introduction. My name is Prodigal D, and what I was saying to the non-imaginary listeners before they ran screaming from the podcast that I've been trying to have a lucid dream for 40 years, well, okay, that's not precisely true. But truth is shifty, and it's mostly stored in our memories, which makes it completely unreliable, because as neuroscience keeps confirming, there's nothing our brains like better than to just lie to us all day long. Lies, lies, lies. Apparently, it's our winningest evolutionary strategy. Go humans. So, the best we can do when we want to tell the truth is recount our memories with honorable intention and try not to screw up. And, to the best of my memory, I really had been trying to have a lucid dream since 1975. So, why don't you make yourselves comfortable, O minions of my imagination, and let me tell you my story. Back in the early 70s, I was a newly minted teenager living a very sheltered religious life, when one day, in the public library, I stumbled across a book by a woman named Patricia Garfield. The book was called Creative Dreaming, and it blew my mind. I mean, more than Star Trek. And Star Trek 
was awesome. But even in my trekkiest moments, I knew in a corner of my mind, a teeny corner of my mind, that Star Trek was make-believe. But this book was real. In the book, she wrote about a real tribe of real people living in a real forest or jungle somewhere, and their entire lives revolved around their dreams. They would remember their dreams when they woke up. They would share their dreams with each other around the breakfast table or the breakfast mat or what have you. They would get art ideas from their dreams and share them with the tribe. It was just the most amazing thing I'd ever heard of. Oh, and the children. If their children had a nightmare, instead of saying, oh, it was only a dream, they'd say, you get back in that nightmare and you fight and win. It just captured my imagination like nothing else. But if that wasn't incredible enough, she wrote about something called lucid dreaming, where you would be dreaming, asleep dreaming, not daydreaming, and you would suddenly look around and go, wait a minute, this isn't reality. Busted! It's a dream! And then, oh, and then you could take control of your own dream and do anything you wanted. Anything you wanted. Did I mention I was a teenager, imaginary listeners? Now, before I had even read that book, I already was interested in dreams. In fact, I was a champion dream recaller. I would wake up in the morning and I would be aware of the dream trying to get away from me. And all I had to do was touch any part of it, any part at all, beginning, middle, end, and the entire dream, boom, would just reveal itself in my mind, every little detail. And then I would write it down in my dream diary. Um, I didn't know to call it a dream journal yet, and I hadn't learned the clever art of putting a title on each dream, which I love doing. What, whoever thought of that idea is a genius. But I did have my own way of telling dreams apart. There's a type of pen made by Bic, which has four ink cartridges in it. So as you're writing in one color, if you want to change the color, very simple, just unclick one cartridge and then click down another. So as I would be scribbling down my dreams, if the dream shifted or if one dream ended and another began, unclick, click, shift the color. And I used to love to look at the pages of my notebook and just see the colors changing. It would tell me so much. If there was just like a paragraph of one color, that would tell me, oh, a short dream. But if the same color went on for page after page, ooh, an epic dream. And um, they still sell those pens at CVS. And to this day, I think of them as dream pens. So I figured bagging a lucid dream would be easy for me because I was already so familiar and comfortable with my dreams. So every night after I went to bed, I would squeeze my eyes shut tight and I would wish as hard as I could to have a lucid dream over and over again with all my might. I would have tried praying to God too, but I was fairly certain that God would not approve of what I wanted to do in my first lucid dream. Hey, how was I supposed to know Mr. Sulu was gay, okay? But wish as I might, I never got a lucid dream. And then time went by 
and I tried to check the book out of the library again to see if there was anything I might have missed, but someone had stolen it. And then I couldn't even remember the name of the tribe. Was it Tamar? Was it Samar? Was it even real? Were they real? Was the book real? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, from the moment I read that book, lucid dreaming framed the way I saw the world. There was never a point in my adult consciousness where I wasn't aware of the idea of lucid dreams, like a country on the other side of the world that someday I would emigrate to, but I'd just never been there yet, or even seen it, which is a little weird when you think about it. Because a couple of years after I read the book, I decided to take a little step back from this religion everyone in my life had been assuring me I believed in to see what I actually thought of it. And, um, well, let's just say I had pretty much the same reaction I did uh, decades later, the first time I read about homeopathy. So it was effortless for me to stop believing in God, but I never lost my faith in lucid dreams. Apparently, a missing library book held more sway with me than all the religious books that had been thrown at me as a child. So time went by, quite a bit. Although, looking back, it doesn't seem that way, but that's memory for you. The great time compressor. It's like a big garbage compactor that just kind of crushes all the interesting time out of your memories for uh, easier storage, I suppose. Uh, not a trained scientist here. Anyway, somehow I knew about a man named Stephen LeBurge. I can't remember how I knew about him. I honestly do not remember how people knew things before the internet, before Google, but somehow I just knew about him and I knew that he had written a book called Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming, which was an instruction manual about how to have a lucid dream. And I was so excited. I knew exactly when the book was coming out. I remember counting down the days, saving up my money. I remember waiting at the bookstore the day that it came out for it to open. And I remember holding the book in my hands for the first time and just feeling the weight of it, just knowing about the knowledge inside that I was about to know and thinking, I'm actually holding the knowledge of how to have a lucid dream in my hands. Here we go. This is it. I'm going to have a lucid dream. But first, I had to go to work. Uh, I was working for a woman uh, running her booth at a craft fair because I didn't have my own business yet. And as it turned out, the craft fair really sucked. Just nothing but be backers and apple bobbers. So I had a lot of downtime and I couldn't help myself. I had brought the book with me and I just had to keep opening it up and looking at the first pages and whoa, Stephen LeBurge was saying, are you really awake right now? Are you really aware of your surroundings? Take a look around you. Are you really seeing? Close your eyes and listen. Were you really listening? No, Stephen LeBurge, no, I was not. But now I am. Stephen LeBurge was blowing my mind at a craft fair. And he had a term I'd never heard before, a term for people who knew how to lucid dream. Oh, Nyronaut. That was like 
better than astronaut. I had to become an Oneironaut. Now, this is the way my memory tells it to me. On the back pages of the book, or maybe on the front pages, there was an ad for something called a Nuva Dreamer that would somehow blink lights in your eyes and make you have a lucid dream. I don't know if it was actually in the book, it might have been in a magazine, but that's the way my memory's telling it to me. Well, naturally, I wanted a Nova Dreamer, but I didn't have the over $200 that was required to purchase one. However, I was a pretty crafty woman, so right then and there, back in 1990, I rigged up, perhaps, the world's first do-it-yourself Nova Dreamer with a lamp timer, you know, the kind you use to make your lights turn on and off when you're not home so the burglar won't come in, and a strobe light left over from the 70s. So I set it up so that at around 4.15 in the morning, it would go off, and the idea being, in my dreams, I would notice a strobe light and think, say, is that a strobe light? How unusual. Could I be having a lucid dream? So, the first night, the lights went off, and they basically blasted me out of sleep. The second night, the same thing happened. And then the third night, and every night after that, nothing. I just slept right through them. And it took me years to figure out what went wrong. But basically, what went wrong was nature. Once my brain figured out that these lights weren't a threat, they became the lights that cried wolf, something that you could safely ignore. And I slept on and dreamt on, unlucid, not an oneironaut. Meanwhile, I'd pretty much inhaled the book and then inhaled it again. And so I was trying all the Stephen LeBurge moves to get a lucid dream, you know, all those things that rhyme with isled, wild, and dialed, and niled, and I wasn't having any luck with them. So I started thinking, perhaps the problem is there's just too much distraction in my life. You know, I was going out every night and all that, so I thought, I need to have a lucid dreaming retreat, someplace where there will be no distractions. Fortunately for me, there was actually such a place to go to for free. My grandfather owned some property in the woods of Vermont, and on that property was a little, well, it was kind of like a shack, four walls and a well and an outhouse, but that was perfect. I mean, what more do you need to have a lucid dream? So I took some odd jobs and saved up enough money so I could just sort of take off for a month, and then I packed up everything that I thought I might need, um, just rice and some fruit and nuts and those um, Snyder pretzels that are so yummy and oh, chunks of cheddar cheese and lots of chocolate bars, you know, everything you might need to survive for a month in the woods. And uh, then I just lived there for a month. Every night I would do an induction technique and try to have a dream going to sleep and then I would wake up at four in the morning and write down some dreams and I might go for a three mile walk through the woods and then go back to bed or I might just go straight back to bed. And I was always doing reality checks during the day, although I had to modify them for the woods. And um, and then during the, the day, 
since I had nothing else to do, I would just kind of walk around the woods. You know, it was like cool there. There was, it was very hilly. It was almost a mountain. And so there was this sort of series of waterfalls and little pools and streams. And I would climb up the waterfalls. And if I got hot, I would just strip down and soak myself in a little perfect bathtub made out of beautiful rocks by nature. And if I got hungry, you know, I usually brought a chocolate bar or a cheddar cheese sandwich, or I'd find berries to eat. Just, oh, the sweetest berries you ever imagined. And all the while I would look around thinking, is this a dream? Am I having a dream? And if I saw a good piece of birch bark peeling off the tree, I'd bring it back to the cabin and try to draw a picture of a dream on it. And basically it was just all dreams all the time, but no lucid dreams. And then somewhere around a week and a half in, I was doing a nap because I also did naps every day. Hey, every opportunity to have a lucid dream. Just as I was waking up, all of a sudden I was in this cave with this shaman-like guy, and we were standing around this um, pool of glowing water, and the entire experience took a second. I mean, I barely had time to acknowledge where we were, and I was rolling out of the dream, like rolling out of a bed, but it was so super duper real. And I thought, here we go, I'm getting somewhere. And I, so I renewed my efforts, but that was it. I mean, for the entire month in the woods, that was the closest I had to a lucid dream. And then it was time to go home and get back to work. I was shocked. I honestly believed I was going to have a lucid dream. I did everything right. What happened next was kind of my great pumpkin moment. I started wondering, is Stephen LeBurge for real? Is Patricia Garfield for real? Were they making it up? But then... I came up with an explanation that satisfied me. A few years before, a movie had come out called Rain Man about an autistic savant. And I started thinking, okay, Patricia Garfield and Stephen LeBurge, they're dream savants. They can do what mere mortals cannot, become aware in their dreams. And then as far as all the letters that people wrote describing their dreams, their lucid dreams, well, you know, people can lie to themselves, people can reinterpret things and then write a letter, and I'm sure he genuinely believed them. But lucid dreaming was not for average people. So I decided to give up on dreams. But of course, that was impossible. I've been thinking about them my whole life. They informed everything I did. Shortly after that, I became a coffeehouse storyteller, and um, most of my stories were about dreaming and lucid dreams. In fact, people used to say about me, oh, she's like Garrison Keillor on acid, or hey, she's like Spalding Gray on acid, which always confused me because I've never done acid. In fact, I just never did drugs. Who needs drugs when you have science fiction? Although, except for one time... When I was in art college and I was really stressing out, it was almost graduation, and I went to see my guidance counselor and he said, stop worrying about the future. And he handed me a chunk of hash. So I popped it in my mouth and he looked at me and he said, you just ate all of it. And I said, yeah, you just handed it to me. And he said, well, I didn't think you were gonna eat all of it.
which to this day I still think is a very unfair thing to have said to me. You know what? Back me up here, imaginary listeners. If somebody hands you a cookie, are you going to eat part of the cookie? No, you are going to eat the entire cookie. Anyway, that's the most coherent part of that memory that I can recall because after that, well, at one point I was at a party and then sometime later I was in a dressing room panicking because I'd been trying to put my bra on for a half hour but I couldn't find my boobies. And then I was home but I was trying to call work because I had glowing blue wings. Anyway, the point that I am trying to make here is I didn't do drugs. But I kind of came across as this trippy person because I was always looking at everything like a dream or talking about dreams and nobody had heard of lucid dreams. Time went by and I met the love of my life. And then a week later, like it always do, the curse of my life showed up and I thought, if I could only lucid dream, I could fix this and boom. I was right back in full-on lucid dream wannabe mode, only more desperate, and I tried everything. I reread Stephen's book, I tried all the things that rhyme with Ild, I tried self-hypnosis, I tried mugwort tea, none of it worked. I heard about this weird electronic thingy that runs on a 9-volt battery and you put two clips onto your ears, one on each ear. Uh, apparently it helped Keith Richards kick heroin. Anyway, you turn it on and it runs a mild current through your brain. Yes, imaginary listeners, yes, I tried it. And no, it didn't work. And time went on and the century turned. And then, a few weeks ago, I was in my studio doing a marathon production session and I wanted a podcast to listen to and I'd already gone through all the radio labs and the star talks and the dead authors and I was starting to get, well, I wouldn't say sick of it, but I needed a break from Night Vale. I'd binge listened for too long. So I wanted something new, and I started searching the directory and finding all these weird podcasts, and I started thinking almost as a joke, wow, they have a podcast for everything. I bet they even have one for lucid dreaming. And as I was thinking that, I was typing in the words lucid dreaming and like a dream three lucid dreaming podcasts appeared. I actually thought, am I dreaming? Is this a dream? There's a lucid dreaming podcast. So I turned on the first one and suddenly this beautiful voice is coming out of my iPad mini saying, hey, I'm just a regular guy who loves lucid dreaming who's figured out how to lucid dreaming. I'm not a scientist like Stephen LeBurge. I'm not a dreaming savant like those lucky bastards who can lucid dream anytime they please. I have to work for it. His name was Lucid Sage and he blew my mind because he started to describe this whole world of lucid dreaming, this whole community of lucid dreamers all over the planet with lucid dreaming websites and lucid dreaming subreddits and lucid dreaming books and a documentary on YouTube. I mean, it was like suddenly, suddenly you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a lucid dreamer, even a small cat. 
Imaginary listeners, are you hearing what I'm hearing? Do you hear what Lucid Sage is actually saying? Is actually describing? We'll take a deep breath because this is going to blow your imaginary minds. He was describing the tribe that I'd read about 40 years ago in that book by Patricia Garfield. The tribe of people who live by their dreams asleep and awake. Only instead of living together in some teeny place in a forest or a jungle, they were living all over the world. But also together on the internet. Whoa. I mean, there was just so much stuff about lucid dreaming out there. There was too much stuff about lucid dreaming out there. I just started to get overwhelmed. It was like when I first got Netflix and experienced streaming video for the first time. Like, there's so much to watch, I don't know what to watch. I would listen to the podcast, and then I would jump over to the internet and look something up or read a review of a book and then go back to the podcast and then go to YouTube and then, then commercials for lucid dreaming products started popping up upon my browser. What? For pills and gadgets and ex educational programs. But the weirdest thing of all was when I decided to just settle down and watch the YouTube documentary about lucid dreaming, which was amazing. It was about people in England talking about lucid dreaming like it was just an everyday thing. But the trippiest part of the video was there was a scene with a young woman reading Stephen LaBerge's book. My book! I mean, I know they made more than one copy, but the only time I had ever seen that book was in mine own two hands. And to see it in someone else's hands on a on a video screen, it was it was like having an out-of-body experience. And I ought to know, because I had one as a child. Although, I would just like to make it clear that I now understand it was an out-of-body illusion. There's actually a wonderful radio lab where they talk about test pilots under stress and how they start to have these out-of-body experiences when they're under a certain amount of centrifugal force. So I do understand that what happened to me at a as a child was not an actual out-of-body experience, but it was still fucking weird. But this was weirder. This made it real. It was like finding out magic is real. And I got so excited, I wanted to just run around the planet, shaking everyone's hands and saying, thank you for being a lucid dreamer. Thank you. But at the same time, it kind of broke my heart a little because the tribe is real. Magic is real. But not for me. It was like, okay, imagine if the very first Harry Potter novel went like this. Hey, Harry, guess what? Magic is real. Wizards are real. There's an entire wizarding community out there, and it's one big magical party 24-7, but whoops, sorry, you're a muggle. And that's how I feel like a lucid dreaming muggle. But then I remembered something I saw in the documentary. This guy named Charlie Morley, who is a lucid dream teacher. Yes, a lucid dream teacher. Wizarding school is real. Anyway, he was talking about one of his students whom it took a year to have a lucid dream. A year. I mean, now that I think about it, 
I only tried for a month. I mean, I tried for 40 years, but never for more than a month at once. I should have kept at it. Maybe if I'd tried for two months or three months or a year, I would have had a lucid dream. I just assumed that if you couldn't nail it in a month, it wasn't going to happen. Well, hear me now, imaginary listeners, because I am filled with inspiration. No, I am filled with determination because this time I'm doing it. I will not give up. That guy tried for a year. Well, guess what? I'm going to try for a year and a day. I'm not going to give up. So immediately, of course, I started worrying about giving up because the busy season is starting. Lots of 12-hour days, lots of driving all night to save money on a hotel, lots of interrupted sleep, exhaustion, and the temptation of binge-watching Netflix. I need something to keep me on track. And that's when I came up with the idea for my own podcast, something that I had to do every two weeks to keep me focused on trying to have a lucid dream. Now, I know a lot of podcasts are professional and they've got multi-tracks and music and interviews, but this podcast doesn't have to be anything too fancy like that. This podcast, it just has to be for me and thee, me imaginary droogies and thee, but it just has to be. And the best place to start is with research, quite a bit of research. Um, Lucidge Sage said something that really, really intrigued me, that people are learning their own ways to lucid dream besides what Stephen LeBurge wrote. And I started thinking, hey, maybe one of those ways is a better way for me to lucid dream. I mean, does it have to be the LeBurge way or the highway? I mean, don't get me wrong. I still think Stephen LeBurge is the greatest thing since The Hobbit. The book, not the movies, okay? I can never unwatch that second Hobbit movie. I mean, dwarves and elves getting it on. I can never unknow that. So I jumped back on the internet all excited and immediately started learning that there were points against me reasons why it would be harder for me to have a lucid dream. The first point was, apparently, lucid dreams tend to happen to younger people, and older people who used to have a lot of lucid dreams aren't having as many. Well, I'm 55. What chance do I have to have a lucid dream? And then the second point against me, it turns out that the people who are really good at having lucid dreams are video gamers, and I am not not a video gamer. Okay, the last time I played a video game was when Asteroids came out. I used to think Angry Birds were people who were mean to each other on Twitter, so I am not, not a video gamer. But the third point against me was the one that nearly made me give up, because it turns out if you want to do one thing and one thing only that will increase your chance of having a lucid dream, it's meditate no! Why? Okay, I have a problem with meditating, and I know everyone has their excuse for not being able to meditate, but hear me out. I think mine is valid. Ten years ago, I tried to meditate, and the very first time I stepped up to the plate, I hit a home run. I mean, literally, I took my first swing, and I hit meditation right out of the ballpark. 
Here's what happened. I was in my studio one night, and I was depressed. And I don't mean garden variety depression. I mean the big one. I think of depression in terms of gravity, you know, astronaut terms. So one depression gravity, that's like your earth normal. You don't even notice it. It's perfectly balanced with all your other emotional gravities. If you go up to 1.5, well, you're having a bad day. Two, a real bad day. Three, take the day off. Go to the movies. You need some me time. Four, call a friend. Five, call your best friend. Six, call an ambulance. I was at seven. I didn't start the evening at seven. It was more like a four, but things deteriorated fast. And there I was, sitting at my work table, so depressed that I couldn't even move to get up and crawl into bed. And I became aware of my own voice in my own head, and it was scaring me. It was going, help me, help me, help me. I mean, really scaring me. And then I remembered meditation. Why not try meditation? I mean, what have I got to lose, right? Well, at that time, I thought meditation meant you close your eyes, you relax your body, and then you make your mind go completely blank and think of nothing. And so I closed my eyes and less than a minute later, this ancient Asian face, a woman's face, an old woman's face, she was smiling at me with her eyes, floated up inside my mind. And I perked up a little bit and I thought, are you kidding me? I'm trying to meditate for the first time, and I'm seeing an ancient Asian face? I mean, come on. How cliche can you get? This is almost racist. And then the view inside my head changed, and I was sort of looking at a movie of the woman. You know how when you're sleep-deprived and you first fall into bed and close your eyes and you're so sleep deprived you immediately start visually dreaming even though you're still awake and you could even have a conversation i've done it well it that was the sort of movie it was and in the movie the woman who was dressed in a japanese peasant woman's outfit she was sweeping with this broom made out of a bundle of tied together twigs and i could even hear the sound And I suddenly realized two things at the same time. She was sweeping my head and I was smiling. I mean, the person sitting in the chair with her eyes closed was smiling like I hadn't smiled since I was a baby. I don't know how I knew that. I just knew that is how a baby smiles, pure, unfiltered. And I opened my eyes and the depression had lifted. I'd gone from seven depression gravities to like 0.7. And when I looked at my studio, I was looking at a completely different scene. And instead of seeing overwhelming chaos, I thought, wouldn't it be a pleasant activity to spend the evening organizing my studio so that it will be easier to get things done? And I just, I spent the most quietly satisfying few hours doing just that. Well, as you can imagine, imaginary listeners, after that, I started thinking, hey, meditation totally rocks. 
I can't wait for the next time I'm depressed so I can meditate again. Well, that time happened soon enough, although nothing as bad as seven depression gravities. That, I am happy to tell you, is the exception, not the rule. But it was a bad day, like a two, and suddenly I thought, hey, I believe it is time to deploy some meditation. So I sat down and I closed my eyes and I started to think about nothing. And 10 minutes later, I was bored out of my skull. And even worse, it was like I was being tortured because my mind would not shut up. It just kept yakking and yakking. It was like worse than when cell phones were new and people would walk around outside talking loudly in their extra loud, obnoxious telephone voices on the trolleys at bus stops and cafes, even in the bathroom. Only it was mine own voice on the cell phone talking in mine own head and it would not shut up. No more meditation. I hate it. But I'm an NPR listener and I have a curious mind and I have heard and read many times about the benefits of meditation and I've seen the studies and I get it. I believe it. Meditation is good for you. And I've read up on it and I understand now You can't make your mind go blank. What you have to do is focus on your breathing and just kind of let your thoughts flow. And I've tried to start a meditation practice a few times with the idea of, you know, 20 minutes a day. I never actually made it past 15 minutes. One time I started to feel a tingling at the top of my head, which might be a sign that I was getting somewhere, or it could just be a physical manifestation of complete and utter boredom. But the point I am trying to make here is once you've had the session where the Japanese woman shows up and sweeps out your head, everything after that is kind of a letdown. But if you tell me that meditation is going to help me have a lucid dream, then I'm telling you I'm doing it. Which brings me to what I call lucid dreaming best practices because I'm going to be honest with you, imaginary listeners. I'm overwhelmed already by how much information there is out there. I mean, should I try this induction technique? Should I download that book onto my Kindle? Should I order this supplement from that shady-looking website that doesn't accept PayPal? I mean, I jumped right in and I downloaded a book by Robert Wagner onto my Kindle and started to read it, and I'm overwhelmed. I mean, his book is brilliant, but he's a dream savant. I need a book by a dream bootstrapper, something I can relate to. And so that's when I started thinking, all right, I have a year. Why not spend the first month of my quest just getting some basic lucid dreaming best practices solid? So here they are. Dream journal, which I enjoy doing and I'm good at. Meditation, which I said I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And reality checks, because I don't think I've ever done them correctly. I have to say, I started to do them and I started to observe myself doing them. And I realized I'm phoning it in. I, I say, am I dreaming? But I don't feel like I wonder if it's dreaming. I mean, reality is just 
so damn real. You know what I mean? So somewhere in the lucid dreaming collective knowledge, there's got to be a description of the perfect reality check. And my goal for the first month is to find it. Well, imaginary listeners, time has gotten away from me. I haven't even told you about the epiphany I had, but I can't do that until I tell you about the love of my life. And I can't do that until I tell you about the curse of my life. Otherwise, it won't make sense. And it's the reason I think I can do this. Or it's the reason I'm destined to fail. But it will have to wait for the next podcast. Imaginary listeners, you guys rock. Thank you so much for listening. Without you, I'm nothing. You guys know that, right? I know, I know. Who's imagining who? You guys are hilarious. No, seriously, that joke never gets old. Okay, wish me luck, and I'll see you in 14. Here I go, lucid or bust.